Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Today we have comedian Mark Masters on the podcast. How's it going, Mark? Great, Nosa. Thanks for having me here. Most definitely. And where are you calling in from today? Uh, today I'm in Denver, Colorado. Tomorrow I'll be in Vail, Colorado, setting up for the Vail Comedy Festival, which when this releases will have already happened but uh i bounced around colorado a couple days ago i was in new mexico mescalero new mexico for a comedy gig so i'm on the road generally but today in denver colorado got it you are both in denver colorado so hopefully i can i can swing by to one of your shows you know sometime really soon uh but it's interesting to connect like this is a very it's going to be a very interesting episode for me because um i like your approach to comedy like it's not not a lot of times like you get people who are creative whether artists you know painters musicians comedians who just go with the flow right like you seem to have a very deliberate uh you know approach to how you got into comedy and just how you do your thing so you know talking to you about you know lessons learned and everything will be pretty great but first let me ask you this question. So you you publicly describe yourself as Colorado's second cleanest comedian. Like, what is that about? <laughs> and who's the first? Like, <laughs> Well, Nosa, since you're in Denver, you can come see me. I performed last night at a comedy show in Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on stage, I will explain that. There's a, there's a whole joke around it. Uh, but for now, all you need to know is I'm, I'm Colorado's second cleanest comedian. I'm clean. I don't swear on stage. I, mm. I tell mostly clean jokes, but I'm fun at the same time. I'm not I'm not the most clean. Right. That That's very rare, though. Like, you know, a comedian that doesn't swear. So when you say you don't swear, is it that you don't talk about dirty jokes, uh, but you curse a little or you don't even curse at all? No, I, I never curse on stage. I mean, I curse in real life, like around women and small children because they're but- frustrating. <laughs> but, you know, never on stage. That's not professional. <laughs> And why is that? Like, you know, when I look back, you know, obviously there were people like I think Will Smith, like earlier in his career, he was talking about, you know, he didn't want to be known for cursing. And that's kind of like his old shtick, his branding and everything. Like, why do you want to be performing in churches? Do you want to have like a, a, a wider appeal? Like, what's the reason for that? Yeah, g- great question. Uh, it, it was kind of born out of uh, some ignorant knowledge. Mm. Uh, I had read or heard or there was a rumor that clean comedians make more money. They can get booked on corporate gigs. They can work cruise ships. They can, you know, basically they get paid more and clean comedy is supposed to be harder to do. Like if you have a clean Ah. joke, it's easy to make it dirty. But if you have a dirty joke, it's difficult to make it clean. And Ah. I'm always up for a challenge. Uh, So trying whatever was more difficult sounded more fun to me to try and tackle that challenge. And, and the idea of actually being able to monetize the skill I'm trying to develop uh, is, is important to me that someday I get paid. So, so that's why I steered towards clean comedy. I do have, I have dirty jokes and, and sometimes it open mics around Denver uh, when mm-hmm. the crowd is right or, or I'm in the right mood, I'll, I'll tell them just not on my paying gigs. Got it. Got it. No, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but have you performed on the East Coast, though? Because that'll be like a stretch. I guess you have to kind of like choose your audience if you're performing like clean jokes, like some comedy clubs like in New York or Philly. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I haven't been to be, Philly. definitely be a challenge or something, right? I, I'm excited to go to Philly. Uh, just last night, I met a second comedian, the second comedian in a month from Philadelphia. And I have some friends out in Philadelphia in that area. So I'm excited to get to Philly. Uh, but I've been to New York City. I performed at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Uh, I I performed in Newark, New Jersey at Devil's Den Comedy Show. Um, I found in New York, it's fine to be clean. No problem. Where where it's a little bit of an issue is like South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, some of these oil towns, like small places. They they, they don't trust clean comedians. And that's an easy (laughs) solution for me. If I'm doing 30 or 45 minutes, I just open up with a couple kind of dirty jokes right. and then they like me and then i just go back into my clean material and they don't even really notice that i'm that i'm not well, telling dirty jokes anymore well if it's any consolation i don't think it's uh, about you being a comedian i don't think they trust anyone clean like whether it's a politician <laughs> or a stewardess or you know anything so they're great people it's I, I really i love yeah. going to those towns and uh they're they're a lot of fun and I, i'm still fig- to be honest i'm still figuring out how to make them laugh the hardest 
you know, I, I, have, I have a great story about going to this real tiny town in North Dakota and performing in a bowling alley. And I told this joke that I love telling and it relies on, I, I say something, yada, 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 NPR, yada, yada, yada. Everywhere I go, it gets a laugh. Chicago, New York City, Denver, everywhere people laugh at it. They did not laugh at all. And I stopped what I was doing and asked them, like, what is going on? Do you, do you know what NPR is? I asked one gentleman. Like National said, Public Radio? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And he said, no, I never heard of it. And, I, and there were about 40 <laughs> people in the room. And I, I said, you know, there are spotlights on me. So I had to shield my eyes to see them. And I said, does anybody here know what NPR is? 40 people, never heard of NPR. So you, you did, that's, that's a whole challenge of doing comedy on the road is how jokes travel. Yep. And now I'm a little smarter about it. Sometimes I'll walk around the audience before the show starts. Maybe I'll engage somebody in conversation and yep. casually, you know, bring it like, what's your favorite radio station? Or do you, have you ever yep. listened to NPR's Science Friday or, or something like that? So I can kind of get an idea. Some, some jokes I know work everywhere. Like everybody has parents. So my jokes yep. about parents work great. Um, but some jokes about more kind of obscure things. I mean, I don't think of national public radio as obscure. Like I think mm. I, I thought everybody knew what it was, but it turns out, no, not, not, nope, everybody. not, not everyone. I mean, it's all about knowing your audience, right? Like, you know, I've interviewed a comedian on the show before and he will talk about how he'll fly in. Like if he's having a show at night, he'll fly in like during the day and try to like integrate into society, like go to restaurants and stuff. Like even on Kevin Hart's Netflix uh, documentary, um, you know, when he's telling comedy internationally, I think he was in the country and he was talking about Chick-fil-A. Like Chick-fil-A is a, it's mostly in the U.S. It's not international like McDonald's. Yeah. So like people had no idea like what he was talking about, you know, but that, that that's a very interesting perspective. But let's talk about how you got into com comedy. Like you've been okay. doing this for like, what, like four years, three, four yeah. years now? Yeah. Like, exactly. like what was the reason behind you just waking up one day? Did you have, was there a background where you inspired it, by it, something like it what was happened? That this is a story in my book, by the way. My book's called Not Good Yet. You can look it up at notgoodyet.com. You can get it at Mutiny Information Cafe here in Denver. You get it on Amazon. You can, the best, my favorite way for you to get it is to go to notgoodyet.com and, and buy it directly from me. I'll autograph it, send you some stickers, et cetera. Um, but anyways, the, the story's in there. Uh, it was New Year's resolution. I had a whole list of like 20 resolutions. I, I'm old enough now that I don't make New Year's resolutions every year. I kind of go up and down in waves. And this was a year where I made a lot of resolutions. I was, mm -hmm. I was really motivated around December 31st, the year before. But the comedy thing, it was just to do an open mic. That's all I wanted to do. You know, write three, four, five minutes of material and perform at an open mic. And uh, I, all of a sudden it was like May, like around now, five months into the year, and I hadn't even started on the comedy stuff. So I went to an open mic here in Denver, uh, Three Kings Tavern, which, which doesn't exist anymore. It was on Broadway Street. Mm, that uh, was pre-pandemic, right? Oh yeah, pre-pandemic. It's, it's mm. now called HQ, I think. Uh, but it was, it was, there was an open mic there and uh, I was sick to my stomach. And all I was doing was watching. I watched for a couple hours, but every once in a while a comic would get up and be bad enough that I was like, I mean, surely I can't be worse than this comedian. <laughs> like, mm, right. I don't even know if you can call him a comedian, but I, I can't be worse than this, this warm bag of bones that is, that is talking into a microphone. And then I, I went to the Irish Rover, which is one of the longest running open mics in Denver run by Oren B. It's every Monday night on Broadway. It's, it's a great time. And, uh, and I watched uh, how, how the mic worked. And then very next Monday, I put my name on a list and mm. I waited Wait, so that's how open mics work. You just go there and like you put your name like, hey, I'll be coming back next week to do this or something. No, no, no. You put your name on a list for that night. Oh, for what? that night. Oh, Almost all open mics work that way. Some comedy clubs that have open mic things, sometimes you have to sign up like a week or a month in advance and mm -hmm. come back and jump through all kinds of hoops. But generally, every op most open mics in Denver, which you can, you can find a list of them at 5280comedy.com. Uh, there, there are different open mics almost every night of the week. And you just, you drive over to one. If you're like me in the beginning, you drive to one and the business is closed and you drive to a second <laughs> one and they no longer run the open mic and the website was out of date. And then eventually right. you find an open mic that's actually open. Uh, introduce yourself to the host. Uh, I, I talk about a bunch of tips for doing your first open mic in, in the book. It's, it's, it's been, it's, it's been enjoyed by a lot of people who get into comedy 
and, and don't really know how to get into comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyways, I, p- I put my name on a list, uh, introduce myself to Oren, and I get there like an hour and a half early and I proceed to wait and like 50 people go up. And now it's like, oh, wow. six, it's like five or six hours later. It's like so long later. I'm, I'm ready to like, well, it's like what? 3 a.m. in the morning or something? No, no. It's like I got there at like 5 p.m. And now it's like 11 p.m. Okay. And, and there's barely anybody left in the bar. Maybe it's a little closer to midnight. And I get up and I tell my jokes and um, something funny happened that I, that I won't spoil. That's it, another story in the book, my first mic. But oh, so you got to give us something, Mark. Uh, like, well, okay, yeah, well, what was the joke at least? I'm, I'm, well, I'm still answering. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. I told a joke okay. about Angela Lansbury from Murder, She Wrote, which was not a good. We were talking earlier about knowing your audience. Four drunk people in a bar <laughs> in their 20s definitely don't know who Angela Lansbury from Murder, She Wrote is. Right. Uh, so that was a mistake that I made early on. But anyways, your question was, how did I get into comedy? New mm-hmm. Year's resolution, went and did the first mic. Was not great. I was, I was okay. I got a couple laughs. The, there wasn't really much of an audience there, but it kind of fueled me. I was like, oh, I'm coming back next week. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get better at this. And I saw some comedians that were really good. And I was like, I, I hope someday I'm as good as them. And then I just got kept it. at it. And I, had, I did 100, 100 open mics in my first six months. And a hundred. Wow. Yeah, that's not that uncommon. I thought I thought at the time I thought it was a really big deal. Uh, but it, it turns out it's it's not really it's not really that big a deal. A lot of people go to open mics almost every night of the week, sometimes more than more than uh one mic a night. The most I think it. the most I've ever been to is uh six in one night. So what uh, this is just like what five minute sets or something? Yeah, definitely almost always five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, three is pretty common if there's a lot three like wow yeah. how do you get people hooked in three minutes uh i mean i mean you can get somebody hooked in eight seconds you know if you tell a good oh, i guess you know the I tiktok mean? generation that makes sense yeah i mean wh- what did i say earlier that made you laugh about it? oh swearing around women and small children like that's, right. a, that's a three and a half second joke and you laugh pretty hard so you can you can get people um pretty quickly and that's that's the goal open mic comedy is really difficult like I, mm. I was saying, and it was hard to tell jokes in, in South Dakota or North Dakota, but it, it's actually easy. You know, you got people who paid money to be there. You got mm-hmm. good lighting and, and, a, and a good sound system um, An open mic. Like there's a basketball game on TV or even worse. And, you know, the NFL playoffs are going on. Nobody's <laughs> even looking at the stage. People are drunk. They're not paying attention. It's, right. it's hard to, to get some laughs, but if you get like a couple people that are close to the stage to laugh, the people at the bar will hear the laughter eventually. And then they'll turn around. And if you get them on the next joke, they'll start paying attention. And then the people behind them will start paying attention. And then it's two minutes and 50 seconds. And it's, it's time to wait another week. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Like I said, you know, I appreciate your approach. You know, I started a business like a year ago. So this is almost like, I see this as a business. Like you had this new year resolution. Where I say, okay, I'm going to do this. These are the steps I'm going to go through open mic. I'm going to build from there. It's almost like you're like building. And I think your, your, your company is called Mark Masters LLC. Like this is, it's like, it's, it's encompassing in like your, your brand of comedy and everything. Um, but um, what are like, like I have, kind of like aspirations to do a little bit of comedy like in the future like I just want to like test myself like I have this this special I was context I was booed off stage when I was like 16 it wasn't a comedy show I think I was hosting an event and I decided to tell some jokes because they were setting up some equipment or whatever and I was like ooh, you know, that kind of stuff so I was like I've been trying to work my way back since then it's been like sure. 16 years in the making but you know I was like oh you know what I, I probably would want to do a couple of those uh in the future but like for someone who doesn't have like you know when someone grows up you people tell you you're funny right oh man you're so funny or you date someone and oh, I like you because you're funny well, this year funny or it's your funny but it's different from how comedy works in america especially like where i come from in nigeria there's a lot of freestyling like america has a lot of like you write you work out your sets and then a year later it turns into a special like for someone who's just starting comedy from the open mic where does it go from there like what do what should you expect as far as like what reps do you have to put in to develop a set like what stages do you have to be in and 
where does it need to like culminate to in 2023 for it to make sense that okay you're now a bona fide comedian if there's if there's anything like that well i i don't know i mean every every day you're only as good as your last set so mm. you can be a bona fide comedian and if you bomb one night you know you got to wait till your next show to, to feel like a comedian again got it like i'm feeling good because last night i had a good show but who knows next show you never know um i boy there's a lot in there a lot in there how do you get started in comedy i mean i talked about the open mics and, and just you got to write a lot i mean there's a there's a huge level of attrition like i might write a hundred jokes for every one that eventually makes it into a paying gig mm. uh, so just got to constantly be writing and testing and and, and uh, seeing if the material works and resonates with different audiences and eventually you know you you do develop an act and, and sometimes it's just like you know you, you can't be overly ambitious some people are like well i want to do an hour special six months from now and they, mm. they're just starting i mean to be able to get any kind of laughter in those three minute open mic sets could take months you know it could take you a long time to 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 get people to pay attention to you and, and have something interesting to say and, and something that's funny. Uh, so you, you can't be, I think, I think you're setting yourself for up for heartache if, if your goals are, are, are too ambitious. Um, but there, there are always stories of people who, you know, just can walk out on stage and, and, and be funny and just they're naturally gifted. I mean, they're very rare. Like Eddie Murphy is, is apparently an example that when he started, he was just, he was great from the beginning. Um, but the majority of comedians work very hard and, it, and it's widely recognized that it takes about 10 years to mm. get competent as a comedian. I'm not even talking good or great, just, just, you know, competent. Yeah. To be able to, to be able to work the road and, and work clubs. And, uh, it, it takes a long time to get that stuff going. You also asked me, I, I want to, uh, touch on something you, you, you try, you drew a parallel between your business and comedy. And I, and I talk to a lot of business groups, uh, you know, better business bureaus, rotary clubs, stuff like that, meetup groups, whatever. And it, um, I always, I always explain that being a comedian, I think is the ultimate form of entrepreneurship, mm. because a lot of businesses, you surround yourself with other workers. And so if something goes wrong, it's the combination of multiple people. You can, you can point fingers, uh, you can lay the blame elsewhere. Uh, but when you're a comic, you are literally on stage with a spotlight on you by yourself. And, mm. and you know, instantly, like when somebody laughs, they laugh very quickly. It's a reflexive thing. You can't control it when, when it's a good joke. You just, you laugh. It's like less than a second. So a fraction of a second, you get your feedback in a lot of businesses. You work on a, on a product for months and months, and then you got to get it shipped from overseas or whatever. And then it gets into the hands of customers and then they got to leave reviews. And then, you know, it could be a year before you get feedback on that work you did one day at your desk. Me, if I write a joke tonight, I could be on stage and get feedback within a second about that joke. And there's no finger pointing. There's nobody else to blame. It's only me. So in terms right. of uh, growing a business and entrepreneurship, it's, uh, it's definitely, a, a, I think, I, some people wonder if being a stand-up comedian is a business, and I and I argue that it absolutely is. Got it. I mean, that makes sense. You know, I was talking to a comedian about my podcast, and I was trying to draw parallels with the podcast and performing on stage. And he was like, no, like an interview-based podcast, when you ask a question, like, you know, the, the guest is answering the question. You're kind of like setting up your next question. You're doing all that. But like, if you're on stage, like the timing is all on you. <laughs> like you kind of like, and you know, there are a lot of things to throw you off, whether it's a heckler or whether it's this or whether it's that, you know, it's very interesting what happened. What are some of the fun things that happen on stage? Like, have you been, uh, I think people are trying to term the war. Have you been Will Smith, Will Smith <laughs> on, no, on a stage you. or Dave, Dave Chappelle maybe more that, recently, but that was, that was what are some of the interesting things that, 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 that um, happened to you uh, while performing? I don't know. You know, it kind of helps that I'm a clean comedian. I don't think a lot of people get upset with me. Uh, I mean, I've definitely, I mean, I've performed to, you know, unconscious people, you know, people who are just, they pass out from drinking too much or oh, wow. whatever is going on. Unconscious, like they're just laying there in the bar. They just like slump <laughs> over, you know, <laughs> right. 
it's like, is this guy okay? What's going on? I don't know. You know, uh, you know, sometimes at an open mic, I, I've had this happen where somebody sits down in the audience, middle of your set, 30 seconds later, just starts taking his shirt off. Like, what? I don't know what is going on there. So you, you get some characters for sure. And definitely mm -hmm. after the shows, I like to hang around and meet people. And um, you, you I, I mean, more often than not, I meet interesting, fun people. But every once in a while, there, there's there's a wild egg out there that uh, is, is a little crazy. But I've, ne I've never been physically assaulted. I don't mm. even think I've had anything thrown at me on stage. Uh, so pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tame in terms of uh, knock on wood that, that, that I don't uh, run into any trouble. Don't get Will Smith or Dave Chappelle. Got it. Got it. Well, um, about you documenting your journey, right? Like not good yet. Like, you know, a lot of people wait to be seemingly perfect. Like they tend to, in this social media generation, you know, the, the highlight side of your life, you know, you put out the good things. You don't necessarily like document the journey. Like you are pretty deliberate about documenting the journey. You wrote a book called Not Good Yet. Like, it's kind of like an homage to you working your way towards where you want to be with your craft and everything. Like, why do you think it was important to document your journey so early in your career? Or do you have plans of writing more books in the future to document more side of your careers? Like, give me the, the context around you writing a book. Yeah, good question. Uh, I've been wa I wanted to write a book for a long time, and I was I was looking for a, a subject to write a book about, uh, and, and so th that was that was one motivator to write the book. Another one was just by virtue of writing the book, I took the pursuit more seriously. Uh, so there's some kind of like manifestation thing that happens when I was like, okay. I'm going to write a book about this experience. I don't want to, I want to take it seriously and do a great job at it or, or as, as good a job as I can and put a lot of effort into it because I knew I was kind of like holding myself accountable. I'm going to let everybody see my work and this process. You talked about the process earlier. Um, and it, and it just allowed me to be a little more um, deliberate, I guess, about uh, like, for example, counting the number of mics I did. And then once I saw that I could probably get to 100 in, by the time the book closed, I was like, oh, I better get to 100. So I started mm. very aggressively going to open mics because I didn't want to get to 93. That's not as good as on the cover of the book. It says lessons from a Denver comedian's first 100 open mics or something like that. that mm. 100 is, is right on the, uh, the cover of the book. So uh, I think it was a great motivator. I would, I would, <laughs> I would encourage anybody who wants to get something um, that they find difficult done to whether you publish it or not, write something about the journey as you're going, just like journaling or um, any kind of documentation. Well, it, it helps you take it more seriously and it helps you frame things. Just writing about my comedic experience really helped the next six months because I could, I, as I wrote some things, I was like, oh man, I, this is embarrassing that I did this. I, I need to do better in the future. <laughs> so, Right. It allowed me to be introspective about my journey. That makes sense. That makes sense. Kind of like reminds me of when I hit like 150 episodes. So just document that whole journey. I didn't write a book, but, you know, blogging about it and sure, you know, that, yeah. like, just help me like put things in context and like think about, okay, what's going to be the next step? Like well, what are the lessons learned here and all that thing. So that, that's pretty interesting. Um, are there sides to comedy that you don't like? Like, I guess every job, right? Or if you can call, like comedy is a job, you know, at the end of the day, but every job has has like downsides. Like, are there sides to comedy that you don't like that maybe surprised you that, oh, I didn't know the industry was like this. Maybe like late nights, you talk about drunk people. Um, are there like sides to comedy that you feel like, oh man, I didn't expect this type thing? Well, I certainly didn't expect how much time it would take how, how much waiting there is a mm. uh, bunch of sticky bars uh just interminable waits for low quality stage time you know sometimes three plus hours for three minutes wow of you know just not great b minus at best stage time uh, so and that's just based off like poor organization like oh they tell you you're going no on not, six, at all. Shit happens not at all and you go on the, the the open mic hosts are the heroes of comedy. They are, you know, clap to them. Uh, Oren B, who was the, the host of that first Irish over mic, incredible uh, the effort he puts into hosting and running the, the Irish Rover open mic. And, and I, I couldn't be more grateful for everything he does. Problem is 75 comedians could come on a Monday night. 
75. Wow. And so if you give everyone three minutes, it just, it takes a long time. And the other thing is he wants the audience to have an okay experience. So he curates the order a little bit so that some of the better kind of more experienced, funnier comedians go up first. When somebody shows up that he's never met before, uh, he will guess that they're not going to be very funny and 99 out of 100 times he's going to be right and and they deserve to go much later in the lineup uh that was hard that was a bitter pill for me to swallow it's still difficult when i sometimes i travel and i go to scenes where nobody knows who i am and uh, and i have to wait a long time and that's just it's just part of the process so is that is that a good way to judge you know that makes sense because you know i don't know if you if you heard about uh, ti the rapper who's not doing comedy <laughs> like yeah. he performed at in atlanta and i think it's a thing in comedy where the closer has to be the i think the headliner was what they call it like godfrey was the closer and ti who i just started came after him and it was like this controversy and i'm not in the comedy world so i was trying to understand like maybe that's a big thing you explaining it that oh the better people performing earlier and you know people perform early. i guess timing like you get to know how good you are if you start to perform earlier in the open mics and like the headline is usually like the best comedian who goes last does that yeah make sense? open mics are the open mics are the opposite the opposite of, okay. of a show a, a a paying show a showcase a, a, a theater show whatever the best comedian goes last uh you mm. work your way up you know the, the opener is kind of the low man on the totem pole low woman low whatever on the totem pole and then you got your you know maybe a middle in there and then you have your feature which is the person right before the headliner and they have the second longest set and then the headliner has the longest set and that's the other thing as you go up into quality the sets get longer and longer um so maybe the maybe the opener does five or ten minutes but the headliner might do anywhere from 30 to, to 60 minutes or, or even longer sometimes but usually 30 to 60. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. That there's a whole, you know, routine to it, I guess. Um, who are some of your favorite comedians right now? Uh, well, I love Godfrey. I, when you, when you mentioned, uh, Nigeria, I thought of him because he talks about his parents who are from Nigeria. Yeah. <laughs> he is, he's incredible. He is, he is just so talented. He said something, uh, there's a quote I I'm, I'm going to, this isn't exactly it, but somebody asked him like, basically what makes you so good at comedy? And he said, nothing. I've just done it a thousand times. Mm. The basic idea that, you know, it's kind of like running a marathon. Uh, tomorrow, if you're not trained to run a marathon, you can't run a marathon. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to run. Your, your muscles just can't do it. But if you work at it over time, after several months, almost anybody can run 26.2 miles. It might not be the a world record time, but you'll, you'll get across the finish line. And comedy is a lot like that. And if you put in the reps and you, and you in the practice, you definitely do get better. Uh, and that, that's an exciting thing about comedy. So, so God, Godfrey's one of my favorites. Uh, I like Gary Goldman quite a bit. He's one that a lot of people haven't heard of. Uh, if, if you're on the your computer later, Google Gary Goldman, G-U-L-M-A-N, 50-5-0 states, like the states of America. And uh, that's one of my favorite bits ever. You'll probably find the Conan version, which is a little shorter than the one he does uh, in person sometimes. But it's it apparently took him 19 years to, uh, wow. to write a joke and or to make it all come together. And it's it's worth it. It is so it's hilarious. He's he's the best. Uh, and that's a good example of clean comedy. There's there's no I don't think there's a single swear word in that bit. Um, so I, I love Gary Goldman. Um, the headliners at the Vale Comedy Festival. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of them. Now, this by this time this comes out, this that will already have happened. But whenever you listen to this, the next Memorial Day weekend up in Vale, Colorado, we'll have a Vale Comedy Festival. And you go to valecomedyfestival.com to learn more about it. Uh, but like Caitlin Palufo, uh, so funny. She's been on Late Night with Stephen Colbert. She's passed at the comedy. So, sorry, who? What, what was the name? Caitlin C A I P L I N Palufo. P-E-L-U-F-F-O. Um, okay, so funny. Yeah, follow her on Instagram, all those places, and, and then wait for her to come to your town. She was just in Cincinnati. Uh, she, she travels all over out of New York City. Uh, Steven Rogers is another of my favorites. He's a, he tours with Brian Regan, who's a very famous comedian. Um, 
Steven Rogers now has a new album out called Before He Was Super. It's free. It's on YouTube. Uh, this is like the golden age of watching comedy. You can just, you know, right. The fact that I can watch an hour of Steven Rogers doing material he's worked on for like 10 years for free is mm. crazy. It's crazy. Compared to, yeah, I get you. Like the YouTube generation is like everyone like just putting up their stuff. Does that make it harder to do comedy? Because people like, even in this interview, like when I, I'm asking you about some of your material, you're reluctant to like oh, yeah. give that out because for you're probably like saving it for a show or something. Like, is it easier or harder to do? Like some comedians would say, oh, you know, the TikTokers or Instagrammers are not really comedians, you know, they're skit makers or whatnot. And Instagrammers are saying, no, it takes, it takes, it's hard to do this. Like, do you think like the internet makes it easier to do comedy or, or, or no? Oh man, that's a great question, Nosa. Uh, I think in some ways it makes it easier and in some ways it makes it harder. Uh, these days, I'll start with a harder. It feels like everybody is a comedian you know, from your accountant who has a Twitter account and thinks of a joke and posts it, uh, it makes it very difficult to come up with fresh content that nobody's thought of or, or heard of. And uh, there's just a lot of competition. Everybody thinks they can be a comedian. I'm a good example of that. You know, four years ago, I was not a comedian. And I thought, well, if I put in the work and, and the effort, I could probably become a comedian. And, and, you know, I stuck with it. A lot of people quit a lot earlier, uh, than, than as far as I've gotten. Um, so there, there's a lot of hard things about this internet age. You know, a lot of people expect content for free. So it's very difficult at, from a business perspective to, to make money. Um, on the flip side, there's like incredible access to your audience. Uh, I was recently in Ohio. I'd never performed in Ohio. And, uh, but I have, I have a mailing list and which, by the way, if you go to markmasters.co, I couldn't afford the .com, but co, uh, markmasters.co, you can, you can one click, you can sign up for my newsletter. I send it once a month and uh, I send a personal thank you to everybody who signs up. So please go sign up. It makes my day. Uh, just stories of me on the road. Basically, this podcast in written form once a month. And uh, anyways, so I was in Ohio and uh, I, my mail service allows me to like, geolocate my subscribers. And so I wrote this long email, not long, it took me like 10 minutes to write it, just saying, hey, I'm in Ohio, here are the dates I have, I'm performing in Cleveland and Massillon and Akron, and please come out and see me. And then I like generated the audience <laughs> and I had two people in the state <laughs> of Ohio. Uh, but one of them came to one of my shows like I sent that email and that, that in the afternoon and that night, one of those audience members, one of my newsletter okay. audience members came to a show. So I was able to draw a person, you know, 50 years ago, how are you going to do that? You needed CBS records or, or some promotion company or right. it really democratizes, um, you know, that, that reminds me of another uh, comedian that I really enjoy, Andrew Schultz. Oh, but, shout out Hezzy. <laughs> Andrews yeah. is hilarious. Fragrant too, and all his guys, yeah. Akash and all the other guys. He's, he's incredible. So, and and what he's built is amazing. He 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 has no uh you know uh corporate backing. All he, independent. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and now if he goes to Cleveland, like I can draw one person, he can rent a thousand person theater and sell probably. it out. Yep. And, and yep. so, I think he just sold out Radio City, I think incredible probably yeah. just madison square garden that's the only that's the only venue that's left for him to perform and doing it independently like well like you said you know the godfrey thing that he said why is he so good because he's done it so long like it's interesting because most of these comedians like i knew kevin like i i would watch movies and materials of him when he was just starting and he did take him 10 years andrew too it took andrew about 10 years like he was on guy code like 10 years ago like you know to godfrey 10 years so i guess it's about putting those 10,000 hours, you know, those reps in and like doing it over time, because like you said, like in today's generation, like everyone's everything, like everyone's a journalist, everyone is yeah. a broadcaster, everyone's a comedian, everyone is trying to be a doctor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the internet. So it's just like kind of like putting in those reps and like doing stuff over time that, that eventually, you know, makes you like stand out, like, but I look forward to it. And I, I like how democratizing like comedy is like you know you can't fake it like a lot of things you can fake like 
You can use auto-tune as a musician. Uh, you can pay for Facebook ads as a businessman, try to promote yourself. Like comedy is, is almost like this equalizer. It's not perfect, but it's like, you know, funny is funny. It doesn't matter how new you are, how old of a comedian you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, tall, how short. It's like, can you make people laugh in this situation right now, regardless of your past, your future? So it's, it's kind of like this interesting challenge i kind of like see myself doing that's why i come i'm kind of like so interested in comedy but let's talk about the business side of comedy i mean you you talked about a little bit about marketing you having the mailing list things like that like what is the sense obviously like hey don't get into comedy if you, you're just thinking about the money but just to like have an idea of people who might not even really want to get into comedy but are just interested like what is the average like okay you go for a do you usually get paid every time you go up? What are the shows you typically get paid? What's kind of like the range of that? And what are some ways like you make money as a comedian? I think I watched a video of you where you said you made $92 in a whole year in your first year of comedy or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. Can you talk my, a little bit about the business side of things. Yeah. My, that, that's from a business presentation that I gave about my first fiscal year, which was really just six months, but yeah, it was like $92, uh, was my revenue, not my not my profit. Oh, I you're not. <laughs> way more than ninety two dollars. I my 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 accountant uh, calls it the best non profitable business he's ever seen. <laughs> and the funniest part about that is imagining I could have an accountant. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's the money's not great. You know, I, I did a spot at a show last night at a at a small comedy club venue where the customers were paying, and I didn't get paid anything. I got paid in stage time. I got a free bottle of water. Uh, that was that was about the closest thing I got to pay. But it, it's it's one of those things where uh, there's there's so much supply of of comedians and people willing to tell jokes for not a lot of money that it, it's it's difficult to monetize. Now every once in a while I, I hit a home run or whatever the sports analogy is, and, and some corporation or business will reach out and say we need some entertainment. And they'll pay me a, a good chunk of change, and 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 over time, that's becoming a little more frequent. But still, um, you know, the, the numbers on this business are not great. I'm really, I'm kind of, I look at it like an apprenticeship for the first ten years. I'm not really serious about making money. Uh, it's nice, and and in our society, it's a good scorecard. Like I, I did a gig at a casino the other night, and uh, I didn't, I didn't get paid very much. Uh, but I sold merch after and 10 different people uh, bought stuff for me. Well, really nine. One person didn't have cash or Venmo, so they bought me a Coors Light. Uh, so I, but I had 10 people, you know, invest something in me and buy stuff for me. And, and that's a good way to make money. Uh, the book that we talked about earlier, not good yet. That's been a great thing. Uh, you know, I sell autographed copies of it and that was intentional. You know, I wanted something that I could, at the, now I have a lot, I have, I have stickers and magnets and all kinds of stuff, but I hadn't really figured that out back when I started thinking about the book. And I thought, well, the book will give me something tangible to sell at shows. Um, and, and it's nice because the book, you know, the stickers, you know, maybe somebody pays you five bucks for a sticker. Uh, the book, usually people will pay $20 or more for a copy of a book that costs me four bucks uh, to print, you know, if I, if I buy them in bulk. Um, so there's the margins are pretty good on those books, but okay, the so margins are not good on performing comedy at clubs at or clubs. Shows. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess it's almost like music in a sense It's like, okay, the music itself gets you that exposure, but other things you do along with it, whether that's, you know, merch and, you know, partnerships, that type of thing, uh, brings in the money, but, you know, getting a little bit specific and, you know, you know, not, you don't need to talk about you. Uh, specifically but like what type of stages like tend to pay like obviously like i'll imagine that like, oh, an open mic is probably free uh maybe maybe a showcase maybe a certain type of show maybe if it's like a box and there's an undercard kind of thing that you get paid yeah. then or maybe their tv appearances or, or what type of of uh, activities like besides like say say merch and things that related to comedy comedy act of comedy itself that gets paid on uh, this can be all over the place what's, but what's kind of like the range out there yeah sure like, so like a lot of con like you mentioned open mic comedy and for sure the comedians don't get paid anything but the host will often get paid by the bar 
maybe a hundred bucks, you know, not a ton, but it's one night at work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and some, some comics will like host trivia and get paid a hundred, $150, something like that for mm -hmm. a couple hours of work. Uh, most clubs don't pay very well unless you're the headliner, you know, and you might make 20 to 50 bucks or something, maybe a hundred if you're lucky and, and you're doing a couple shows in one night. Uh, but if you're a headliner and you're a draw, you can get a door deal and mm. you can get like half or all of the door. And so if you're in a venue, let's do simple math. We'll call it a hundred person venue. Let's say the tickets are $30. Uh, if you sell out that venue, 30 times 100 is $30,000. 30000 $3,000. $3,000. Thank you. $3,000. $3,000. If the venue will let you keep the door and they get all the drink sales, then you made 3000 bucks in one show. And the headliner this week at the big club in Denver uh, did three shows on Saturday night. So, and, and, and that club has 300 seats and they charge 30 plus dollars. Uh, so you can make a lot of money. I, I did the math on Dave Chappelle was recently here uh, and he sold out like five shows at Comedy Works and uh, the tickets were like $150 a piece. Oh, so, wow. I've been to Comedy Works before. Is that in DTC? Uh, there's two of them. There's one at the right. South Club is in DTC in Greenwood uh -huh. Village. Beautiful place. And I've seen Gary Goldman there. And uh, the, the David Chappelle shows uh, this time around. We're in a downtown club. Um, and uh, I, I, I did the math on it. And I, I can't remember exactly. But he made like a million dollars or half a million dollars. Oh, wow. In, in five nights. Wow. Uh, if, if. Yeah, well, it's, it's Dave Chappelle. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure exactly. that's compared to his Netflix deal. That's probably like chump change yeah. <laughs> but you know it's, yeah. it's very interesting comedy is very interesting regardless of how big comedians get they still perform small clubs like that's the core yeah, like gotta... they still come back you know yeah compared to like music and other things but yeah it's been, it's been pretty interesting like getting to talk about this stuff man like you know just getting like an insight you know from an outsider's perspective into like what goes on in comedy obviously uh you know a lot of travels a lot of waiting like you said putting those reps on like anything you do like you really need to make sure that you love it right because that's what's going to keep you in the game not necessarily like the money or anything right um what's going on for you like what's mark masters going to be up to in the next you know couple months couple weeks uh, is there anything obviously you know your, your website mikemasters.co probably have a, a whole bunch of information but are, sure. is there anything you want our listeners to kind of yeah. like look out for or check out i i run some shows up in vail colorado which is about a two-hour drive from denver so if you're planning a, a vacation uh we we run a monthly show you can go to veilcomedyshow.com we fly in comics from new york and la it's a lot of fun we, we built we're on an eight-month sellout streak uh it's, it's a really high quality experience it's so good that people the guests at the show when they plan their next vacation they have been scheduling their vacations around the shows uh, so they can come back to the show it's it's, it's really fun and then veilcomedyfestival.com uh, that's happening in less than a week it's memorial day weekend uh, so i have before this recording the last 11 hours i have been working on the festival so like oh wow. it's been like non-stop for a while and uh, it's just a few days away so hopefully hey, what, what does that mean like you're writing or you're no like, I'm, bar I'm barely performing at all i'm organizing the festivals there's oh, 31 comedians we're handling and when i say we it's basically me i'm coordinating their hotels the festival is paying for their lodging uh so getting rides to and from the airport uh, we have seven different venues, so coordinating with the venues, getting all the equipment so we can pop up comedy shows in these different venues, uh, the schedules for all the shows, the ticketing, the, the media and press. We, we had a nice two-page spread in the Vail Daily, which is a newspaper up in the mountains. Uh, we had an article in the Aspen Times. We're supposed to get covered in the Denver Post, I think this coming Friday, uh, hopefully. Uh, I've been working on that for a long time. Uh, creating social media is such a chore every single day for tell two me months, about it <laughs> I have made a video or an image and copy that a, that a team uh, puts out on the Facebook Instagram and Twitter 
every single day so that the you know the algorithm likes it we have a youtube shorts channel if you google Vale comedy festival youtube there's that you can just go down it's fun it's like TikTok, just a bunch of like 15 to 45 second stand-up clips from comedians on the festival uh it's wild some of those videos go viral and they get thousands of views um very quickly uh so yeah the festival has been just a ton of work just so uh, permits I had to, we have a, we have a street magician and a street magician is going to swallow fire. And so I had to work with a fire department in the town of Vail. Oh, wow. I paid $216 for a class one fire effect permit. And wow. it took six weeks to get it with back and forth and documentation. And we finally got that wrapped up this week. This uh, is what, so this far. is one of the culture shocks about me being Nigerian. Like there's a permit for everything in this freaking country. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like coming here. It's like, I'm in the trucking industry as well. Like in trucking. Oh my yeah. God. Like there's a permit for everything. I'm like, uh, what the hell? Yeah. You know, but I mean, it's all just, good. Yeah, just yesterday I had some crazy Craigslist deal where I went and bought a bunch of chairs for one of our venue. I, I didn't know if I was going to get kidnapped or ax murdered or what and handed over a bunch of cash for chairs out of the back of a U-Haul and uh stuffed them into my car and i had to drive those up to Vale, and uh so there, yeah there's just a i i can't it would, it would i could write a whole book about the experience of organizing this festival and it's five days away and uh, i'm not going to sleep much between now and then but a week from now uh sunday night next week i will be within hours of being done with a festival and be hopefully very proud and excited about what i was able to pull off and, and both in terms of the audience being excited and happy and the comedians who nice. uh, I'm so grateful to them for all their talent and uh and willingness to to fly across the country uh, we have comics from Alabama all the way to Washington state uh flying in for this so it's gonna nice. be really fun and is this the first one this is the first one first one <laughs> wow. ever and, uh so 2023 pens you know circling the calendar Memorial Day weekend everybody listen right. to this Vailcomedyfestival.com. And I'll say this. Uh, this is the Culture Class Podcast. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Culture Class Podcast. If you, uh, whenever the Eventbrite is up for the ticketing for that, uh, if if you send me a note, in, in, you can find a way to reach me. Markmasters.co has a contact form. Uh, I will get you a good deal on a, on a ticket to uh, Vail Comedy Festival because they're not cheap. But if you're a Culture Class uh, listener, reach out, mention the pod, mention NOSA, and uh, we'll take good care of you. Same thing goes for the Bale Comedy Show. Got it. Got it. Well, we appreciate you, you know, putting our, our listeners out there. Like, Vail, probably not cheap being in Vail and everything, but right. <laughs> what, what's your plan for the festival, man? Like, do, do you want to make this, uh, what are some of the popular festivals, like, Just for Laughs and things like that? Or, like, like where do you want to take this? Uh, who knows? I, uh, you know, I do want to run it for five, ten years and grow it um make it a, a quality event where it's easy to sell tickets people want to go to it um i would like to have a big headliner someday um you know are we going to get kevin hart i don't know but there there is a you know there's a, a large theater uh amphitheater up in vale and there, there's an ice rink that i can rent and put a couple thousand people in if we get a big enough name uh so um but I, on the other hand uh, I kind of like how it's small. Like we're going to have a comedy show in a basement pizza back room um, where, you know, 50 audience members and you're going to be very close to comics who have been on TV and, and have albums and uh, done all kinds of exciting stuff and are hilarious. That's way more personal and, and I think interesting and exciting than a big theater show. So I, yep. I'm not really in a rush to make it bigger. I, I, I would like it to be less work on my end. Uh, it was just to create it from scratch was so hard this year. Next year will be so much easier. People will have heard of it. Um, you know, I, I just kind of copy and paste a lot of things that that I had to create this year for the first time. And uh, I, can, yeah. I can work on, you know, th this first one was is kind of like not good yet. You know, it, it, the, the festival itself is gonna be fantastic, but the, the process to get to it was, it was clunky. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. So, oh no, man, I respect it. Like you know, I'm doing something similar over the Fourth of July weekend in Chicago uh, for the podcasting space. You know, getting a bunch of podcasters and like renting out like an Airbnb to do like a creator house type thing, producing content, cool. getting some listeners in. 
Um, that's nowhere near the logistical nightmare that is, you know, getting chairs in a U-Haul and organizing different shows. But, you know, I really respect it. And obviously you have a good location going for you. So as far as headliners, like if you can tie it into the whole veil tourism thing and, you know, skiing and all that good stuff, like I have no doubt in my mind that it's going to be something big. And hey, you know, when it is, I'll, I'll put out this interview that, hey, we had we had Mark on the podcast, you know, X yeah. number of years ago and all that good stuff. But yeah, we'll definitely love to share it on our social media as well. Culture class, send out to our listeners on our newsletter and all that good stuff. Just, uh, you know, helping the local comedy economy as well. But uh, thank you. Oh, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast, Mark. Uh, I mean, you talked about Veil Comedy Festival. You, you know, you dropped your website a couple of times. Well, how can people connect with you personally, like on social media and things like that? Yeah, I'm not huge on social media. We do the festival has at Veil Comedy Festival is the Instagram at Veil Comedy Fest is the Twitter. Uh, myself personally, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I, I do have a Twitter at the Mark Masters. The best way to get in touch with me is if you go to my website, markmasters.co, there's a contact form. Uh, it generates an email that goes right to my phone. A lot of times I respond within an hour. Uh, almost never is it more than a day before I get back to you. Uh, so just send me a note. If, if you're listening to this, just send me a note and just say, hey, I listened, I listened to that episode with NOSA. Uh, you know, just, just saying that, it, it, it gets creative people who are working very hard and don't get a lot of positive feedback. Uh, it, it, gives, it gives me uh, a little bit of extra juice in the engine. So uh, I love to hear from, from people who are interested in what I'm doing. Sign up for my newsletter and then you can follow along with my crazy stories of sleeping in my car and doing weird venues like bowling alleys and, and making mistakes here and there and every once in a while an occasional success and, and good thing. And um, yeah. That's, yeah. that's everything I want to promote the book. Not good yet, I guess. And, and just have a great day, everybody. Most definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. And as usual, it's culture class podcast everywhere. If you guys want to connect with us, uh, culture class is the website. And until next episode, you guys be well. <laughs>